So let's do this. So now that so now you could, you've let go of hands. I'm going to ask you to do me a favor this morning. So let me just kind of tell you what I'm sensing in my spirit as we dive in. Uh, so what I'm sensing this morning is that there are it's like the best of times and the worst of times. All right. Like that's a great beginning of lots of books. It's the best of times. It's the worst of times. And. And so when we sit in a body of believers like this, it is the best of times for something like, my gosh, my life is great. It's been a great week. That brother's like, this is the worst of times, right? And so I'll be honest with you as a pastor, that's really, um, um, really overwhelming sometimes because I got to speak to both groups, right? It's like, it's the worst of times. Speak to me. The best of times. Speak to me, right? And so what I recognize this morning is that um, I, don't, I don't have to do anything but be obedient. And so all I have to do is trust Jesus to move in you, which then puts a lot of, puts all the onus on Jesus and very little on me, which simply means this morning, you don't need anything I have to say. All you need is Jesus and he's always here. So I'm going to ask you to do me a favor this morning. I'm asking you would, to let go of the person's hand next. You don't care if it's your spouse. Let go. This is, this is between you and Jesus right now. He's jealous of you this morning. In a holy way. He just wants you. So take a deep breath. Inhale. Exhale. I want you to then focus on Jesus. I want you to focus on his nearness. I want you to focus on truth this morning. He may feel distant, but we know from Scripture that he is near. So we focus on his nearness. There's no condemnation this morning for those who know him, which means he doesn't hate us. He's not against us. So focus on his love for you this morning. This morning, release the furrowed brow, scowling face Jesus that you've created. And let's focus on the perfect love of a father who looks at us with grace and compassion and mercy. Even in our sin, he's gracious and compassionate and loving. He's just, but he's kind. Focus, shift, release the scowling Jesus and focus on the loving Jesus this morning. Tell Jesus this morning, I give you the aching part of my heart. I give you the disillusionment. I give you my tension. I give you the weight, whatever it may be. Release that this morning and say, Jesus, I receive the fullness of life that you have for me this morning. Father, we declare this morning that in knowing you, we have life. 
that the only thing, Jesus, that moves us and propels us forward into the life that you have for us is knowing you and nothing else. This morning, we ask, Holy Spirit, for you to speak life into areas where we need you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, we talked about this kind of foundation of what we're diving into in the fall. We said for the upcoming weeks, we're going to kind of lay some foundations for each of us so that we kind of all are on the same page as we dive into emotionally healthy spirituality, growing and maturing into spiritual health that God has for us. And we said last week that the writer of the book, Peter Scazzeros, if I say Peter this morning, I'm not talking about the apostle, although he's great. I'm talking about Peter Scazzaro, the pastor of a church in Queens, New York, all right, and the writer of Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And so Peter said last week, he said, I got to a point in my life as a pastor of a very of a thriving multicultural church, 70 nations represented in his body, right, in the context of this church, that I was not living the abundant life that Jesus promised. And so I had tension. So I said, either Jesus was wrong, right? The red letters in the New Testament in John, in John 10, 10, when Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life abundantly, either he didn't really mean it, right? Either he was just completely lying or I was missing something. That I, there was an expectation or something that was missing for me. And so, so he said, I had to come to the conclusion that Jesus doesn't lie. That if it's in red letters in the New Testament, for those who don't know, red letters in the New Testament mean Jesus said it to give it more impact because it actually has greater impact because Jesus never was wrong, right? So either Jesus was the wrong and, or I'm wrong. And so he said, I came to this conclusion that it had to be me and not Jesus. So this morning we're going to dive into John 10, 10 and look at some other scriptures. If you saw on the newsletter that went out, there were three or four scriptures that I wanted you to read before you came this morning. I hope you, I hope you all read those because it will make this morning more impactful for you. But John 10, 10 says this. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Press pause. We have an authentic, realistic, living enemy thief. Who is aware of your presence in life. Who's come to steal. Not literally to come and steal your milk money, right? But to steal life. To kill life. To to destroy life. He says, I came that they may have, that we may have life, Jesus says, and have it abundantly. In the context of the scripture in John, Jesus is coming and he's this language of talking about being the good shepherd. If you go and read the whole thing, he's talking about being a good shepherd, right? He says, my sheep says, I'm a good shepherd. Those who came before me, listen, they weren't, listen, Pharisees and others, y'all were not caring for the sheep. You were not kind to them. You were not loving. But, but the true sheep, my sheep, listen, they listen to me and they know my voice and they follow me because I'm the good shepherd. I fight for my sheep. I, I love my sheep representing us, right? I love my children. I, I defend them and I, I fight for them in the context of a very real thief who lives opposed to them every day of life. I find it so interesting that Jesus names abundant life in the context of a very real and authentic thief who comes to destroy. It can never disconnect those two verses. 
And in the context in John chapter 10, verses 1 through 10, Jesus is painting this picture of being a good, loving, spiritual father. And so when Jesus then comes and talks about the abundant life, we immediately latch onto that. Like there's not a person I know who doesn't pray in the middle of difficulty, right? Who knows the verse going, Jesus, you said I could have life and have it to the full. Jesus, that's it. right? And we read the verse like, this is so awesome. Jesus came to give me abundant life. And here's the problem for us is we read that and we immediately have these very clear expectations arise about what that means. And I wonder for so many of us if we've misinterpreted what Jesus actually meant. You see, that's kind of the story for Peter, right? Peter Scazzera, pastor of the church in Queens, right? For Peter, it's like he said, I, I just realized I had these expectations and ideas and thoughts about what the abundant life meant. And he said, I wasn't experiencing that, so I just wondered, maybe, maybe I'm missing it. Maybe I've had a wrong understanding of what that means and and how that applies itself to my life. And this morning, what we want to do is lay this foundation of what it actually means, the abundant life, and what it actually means and what it means for us this morning. We all love the idea, but I'm afraid we all have our own definition of what it means. So let's begin with a simple, not exhaustive definition, okay? And it's not, it's not exhaustive. There's many more parts to this. But I think it's on the screen. It says this. An abiding contentment in our inner life through our new, never-ending relationship with Jesus. Just look at that. An abiding contentment. You know what abiding is? Like, it just resides with us. It lives with us. I would encourage you to take a picture because I want you to, to or to, uh, just to have this, because I want you to begin to recognize abundant life, right? It's an abiding contentment in our inner life through our new, never-ending relationship with Jesus. It is our, we talked about the last couple of years, it is our real life. In Jesus, that we have spoken about at Vintage, this real life that he has for us, this abiding contentment in our inner life through our new, never-ending relationship with Jesus. Let me just press pause for a moment and kind of and kind of lay this, uh, an idea out for you. There are three phrases talking about life that I think, to a degree, they're they're yes, unique, but they're interchangeable. They're all they're all part of the same thing. The three words, the three the three ideas are this: eternal life, new life, and abundant life. There's really no difference in the context of those. Eternal life, new life we have in Christ, have been gone down into death and raised to a new life. Jesus is real life for us, right? And and eternal life, real life, new life, and abundant life are all interchangeable. They're all basically the same thing. These are these lives that have a deep abiding contentment in our inner life through our new, never-ending relationship with Jesus. And so this morning, I want to look at two different stories in Scripture, one relating to Paul, the apostle, and one, Asaph, one of the psalm writers in Psalm 73. And I want you to begin to see this picture of abundant life and also what abundant life is not in Scripture. And then we get to look at Asaph, who's going to look and sound just like you. Because he looks and sounds just like me. 
Asaph is my favorite people in all of Scripture because he blows it, right? He has pity parties all the time, right? It's so great. I'm like, oh, I'm so thankful to see Asaph. He's just like me, wrestling and struggling in life and then having these breakthrough moments. So we're going to look at his life here in a moment. So in Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13, we begin to see this kind of picture of the abundant life in Paul. So what you need to get, just to get the context, Paul has not been financially and resourced by the Philippians in a while. Okay? Like he has not been supplied money or resources or goods by them for a long period of time. And he says, man, I'm so glad you were able to rekindle this and make that happen. I'm so thankful for that. He loves the Philippians, honestly, out of all the Galatians, Philippians, Ephesians and Colossians, the Philippians are by far his favorite in the sense of like running and doing life with him. Right. And so, so he has the Philippians. He's so thankful for everything that they've given him and the way that they've resourced him. But he says in verse two, For I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along to the new American standard. I know how to get along with humble means and also how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry. Both of having abundance and suffering need, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Leave it up there for a second. Please recognize the context of verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The context of this is not the Olympics. The context of this is not your local football team. They're misquoting this scripture out of context when they say it. What Paul is saying, I've learned the secret of being content when I have lots of things and when I have nothing. I've learned to be content. I love this picture here. The word content is a powerful word. It's really the secret of the abundant life. In this verse, content means this. A deep inner satisfaction birthed from having Jesus ultimately meet every need. It's a sufficiency in Christ. I think that's good. Why don't you find that for me, Josh? That's on there, that definition. I think it's the next one. It should be, at least. I'll read it again. There you go. A deep inner satisfaction birthed from having Jesus, not form having Jesus. I wrote that, so I apologize. Birthed from having Jesus ultimate every need, a sufficiency in Christ. Look at that and read it for yourself. This is this idea of being content. The idea of content is this idea of satisfaction, of being satisfied, of being full, of not lacking. On Friday night, we went to fish time for our community night. We walked in. I hadn't I'd eaten one meal that day, and I sit down to eat, eat the Texas redfish, their incredible kale salad, which usually is terrible everywhere else you go. It's great here, right? And you sat, and I had the shrimp risotto, and then we had for dessert this, like, ice cream. I was sitting next to Paula. We were eating this chow down right this ice cream covered on pound cake cut this covered with strawberry heavenly stuff right it's like beautiful and so and so i get done and guess what 
I'm fully content. I am fully satisfied. I have no longing for anything else at all to eat. I'm not thinking about any type of food. I am fully content and satisfied. I am fat and happy and loving it in the moment, unbuttoning my pants, make sure I'm, make sure I'm comfortable, right? Because I'm so fully content and satisfied in my meal. Paul says, I've learned to be like that. And that leads me to the abundant life. Like I I, I see this and he says, this points me to the abundant life in Jesus. Because Jesus had taught him in every area of life to be satisfied in Jesus. Like this is powerful stuff. Because in the moment he comes, he says, whether I'm in, if I'm in poverty, if I'm in pain, if I'm in suffering, if I've been ridiculed, if I've been forgotten, if I've been lost in the context of people, if I have no friends, I'm content in Christ. If I have abundance of everything in my life, if I'm living wealthy, fat and happy, I'm content in Christ. You see, this idea of abundant life and this idea of this new life in Christ and eternal life, having this abundance, right? Having the context of this, of this reality of being content, I'm satisfied, fully satisfied in my inner life through this knowledge and of relationship that's never ending with Jesus. So what we find in the moment then is Paul having his contentment leading him to abundant life in Jesus. And in this, then I believe he confronts several of the wrong ideas that people have about abundant life in our culture. The first thing he confronts would be this. Abundant life doesn't equal. He comes and he says, abundant life then doesn't equal financial prosperity. Abundant life doesn't equal financial prosperity. According to Paul, he has been wealthy at times, but he's also had times of humble means. He's had times of going hungry, having no sustenance of life, literally probably going days at a time not eating. He's had times of being filled like I was on Friday night. He's had times of abundance and times of suffering need. And the understanding is clear. The understanding is simple. Whether he's jobless in poverty with no source of income or living high on the hog with the finest the world offers, either way, Paul is content living an abundant life. Whether it's in poverty or in wealth. See, we live in a culture today with certain parts of our evangelical church saying prosperity of wealth, prosperity of health equals the abundant life. And so when you get sick, you get angry. When you lose your job, you all of a sudden start spiraling down, right? You don't have what you want compared to your neighbors. You're like, but I'm supposed to, I'm a Christian. God should be blessing me more. And Paul says that's not at all what the abundant life looks like, whether in poverty. Poverty or in plenty, I find my contentment both places in one area in Jesus. And so whether I have or don't have, I am content, fully satisfied to the core of my being with no other needs before me. And so I don't get frustrated and angry when I'm in poverty and I don't get too excited when I have wealth because my contentment is found in him. I'm fully satisfied through my knowledge of Jesus. 
Second thing, abundant life doesn't mean no suffering. He clearly says, I suffered need. Suffering here for Paul is financial, specifically. Whether I'm suffering in need, right, financially. But we also recognize he suffered in many other ways, too. He suffered shipwreck. He suffered stoning, stonings, plural. You stone someone for the purpose of killing them, right? This was not a great, exciting moment for Paul. He's been bitten by vipers. He suffered imprisonment, etc. Yet in all of these things, he was content, deeply satisfied, not lacking anything that he needed in life. Third thing, abundant life doesn't mean ease and painlessness. If there's one thing that defines the culture in which we live is we want things to be painless and we want things to be easy. How come you're so afraid to confront your friend because it's painful and it hurts and you don't want to because it's not easy? Everything in life is about being painless and easy in our culture. That's why we have air conditioning, right? Because we don't like it being so hot. You walk outside, you're like, oh, oh it's, so, it's so hot outside, right? Because we can't even handle it. Paul's life was pretty painless and easy before he became a Christian. He was a Pharisee among Pharisees. He was skyrocketing as he lived under the discipleship of one of the greatest Pharisees and teachers of the day, Gamaliel. He was amazing. He was put in charge of all the persecution for the Christians, those who were opposing God, right? And he was raised up and everybody knew his name. His life was pretty painless and easy until he became a Christian. And in becoming a Christian, everything became hard. He had to work hard. He suffered greatly. He experienced betrayal in time. He experienced martyrdom. Don't ever forget that the, two, the, the greatest expression of the abundant life in the New Testament, the, ultimately the primary picture is Jesus. I don't know if you know, but he suffered greatly. He suffered greatly. His life was not one of ease and of painlessness. Literally, the very last moment, he experienced a betrayal by those who were closest to him. With all these things, we can't even miss what I said earlier about the promises of abundant life Jesus makes. And he says, I promise abundant life in the context of a thief who comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. One truth may not like, but we must accept we're going to move towards the abundant life as Jesus understands it is this. The abundant life in Christ will be lived in the context of a thief who will come against us to steal, to kill, and destroy. And this will be on the screen. Abundant life is not the absence of suffering, hardship, and poverty. Instead, it is the promise of the nearness of God that causes deep satisfaction in me, no matter what my, my circumstances are. Abundant life of the absence of suffering, hardship, and poverty. Instead, it is the promise of the nearness of God that causes, that results in a deep satisfaction in me, no matter what my circumstances are. We're going to leave this on the screen, but I want you to pause for a moment and just, I'm going to ask you just to be honest with yourself. 
Like if you were to think about what really makes you content, if you're honest, it leads to a feeling and sense of contentment in life. What is it? Like is it something on, if you're, is it, is it having your family near you? Is it moving forward at work? Is it having lots of friends? Is it people being nice to you? Is it your spouse ultimately being nice to you? Like what ultimately, if you're really honest, produces contentment? And is it having to go on vacation once a month? Is it having to go out on a date once a month? Like what ultimately produces contentment inside of you? None of those things are probably wrong, but I'm like, what ultimately produces deep satisfaction in you? Like, what causes you to feel like you're able, like in this prophetic picture here, to really not be bound to the earth? Think about storms of life. What do storms do they cause birds to sit places out of the rain? What releases in you this ability to soar? with him like these are things we have to become aware of God wants to put his finger on a level of Christ awareness in us Paul's contentment his abundant life it didn't change because of outward circumstances like recognize this having wealth didn't produce his contentment in his times of abundance, and then have to turn to Jesus in his times of difficulty and hardship for his contentment. In both places, he said, uh, I find my contentment at all times in one place, no matter my circumstances, in Jesus. And I'm fully, abundantly satisfied and content. I don't need anything, he tells them. I don't need anything that you have for me, Philippians. I thank you for it. I'm thankful for my family, right? I'm thankful for my date nights. I'm thankful for my vacations. I'm thankful for people that are nice to me. I'm thankful for my friends. I don't find contentment in them. I find contentment in Jesus. And I'm fully satisfied. Here's here's this. I'll say this. This is on the screen too. The abundant life is not defined by an external work. It is defined by the eternal, internal work of Jesus. Our abundant life is not defined, it's not based on, it's not grounded, it doesn't find itself in the external work, it's defined by the internal work of Jesus. This is this reality that Peter recognizes in his book, like I had to find Jesus, I had to commune with him. This is what we see in the story of Asaph, Psalms Asaph, Psalm 73, you can turn there if you want to, or you can just read on the screen, it be easier here. The idea is, on, so we pick up in verse 3 through 5, I want you to see this picture of Asaph, I want you to see and feel his tension. I want you to place yourself into his story. I want you to feel what he feels because all of us have experienced what he's experienced. As in verse 3, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until they didn't suffer, right? They didn't have pain in life. They didn't have these issues that I'm having. There was no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. Like fat today would be, they were super slender with really porcelain level skin with a nice tan and everything is great and they're well stacked and built in the context from head to foot and they are muscular and beautiful and they're probably in the Olympics. And look at me. 
I'm super skinny and like of the rail because I have anything to eat, what he's saying. They are not in trouble, verse 5, as others are. They are not stricken like the, the rest of mankind. Asaph was having a pity party. He was not content, for he was confused about the abundant life because he said, I am doing the right things. I'm a good Christian. I'm trying to be obedient all day long, and his life's going to be the opposite. I have no prosperity. I only have suffering in my life. My body is not fat and sleek or tender and tan, right? It's tender and tan. And I am in trouble all day long, and I feel stricken. And I'm doing everything as a good Christian that I'm supposed to do, being obedient. And where's the blessing, God? He's frustrated with God. He's not frustrated with himself. He's not frustrated with the wicked. He's frustrated with God. Where are you, big guy? I've done everything. I've read the law. I've been doing all this stuff. Where is my blessing? Where is my prosperity? Where is my food? Why aren't you doing something for me? He goes on in verse 13 through 14. He says, oh, I love it. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence for all the day long. I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. A.K.A. Pity party. Wrestling in life. Frustrated with God. I'm sure none of you have ever been like this before him. And he comes down later and says, I was an ignorant brute beast before you. You ever felt like that before God? It's like, right, just so frustrated. And he comes in, he comes in, and, and then there's this, so there's this idea of like, I've missed what it understands to find contentment in God, right? I'm not, I thought the abundant life was this, the prosperity and living over here with, without pain, without suffering, right? I thought it'd be over here, but my life is difficult, and there are enemies over here prowling about like a roaring lion, like all these pieces. Oh, and then in verse 16 and 17, it says, But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. I felt overwhelmed by this until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. I'm a brute beast. And in the moment, I then intentionally entered into the sanctuary of God. Listen, you all know sanctuary does not literally represent a building. Doesn't mean I walked into the auditorium at Vintage 242, right? Doesn't mean I walked into the temple. No, he says, I walked into the sanctuary of God's presence. The idea here is the picture I walked into the safe haven. Think like an animal wildlife sanctuary. What happens in a wildlife sanctuary? No hunters, no poachers, right? It's a safe place for them to reside and to live and to do their thing. He's saying, in this moment, I stepped into the safe haven, the sanctuary of God's presence in the moment so that he could speak into me. Think about this, that picture we see in the shadow of his wing into his refuge, into his presence. And not just like coming in like, oh, Jesus, this, like I'm talking like, no, he walks into the living, breathing reality of God's presence in his life for the purpose of listening. How do we know he listened? Because the next verse is all the way down to like 35 are him speaking about what God said to him when he entered into his safe haven, the safe haven of his presence. 
And he goes down in verse 25 to 26 and says, and he has this reality. All of a sudden, this like awakening to contentment. He goes, ah, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, right? The things on the outside. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And here is the point this morning. The reality we see in Jesus' words, the reality we see in Paul's words, and now Asaph. The abundant life, eternal life, new life is birthed. Hear this in one place. In the context of not knowing about Jesus, but literally knowing him daily on an intimate basis and walking into his sanctuary and into his safe haven and relating to him and hearing from him and making that the priority of my daily life. Because there is no abundant life apart from entering into his safe haven and seeing him and experiencing him in the context of my wealth and the context of my poverty. This is Peter's message in his book. We're going to dive into it. like, you have to know him. Asaph says, I was a brute beast, frustrated in life until he came near to God. He said, my heart and flesh filled, but God becomes my strength. God becomes the source of everything that I need for a life. Paul says the same thing in so many words. He says, I'll kind of paraphrase. He says, I am content through Jesus who gives me strength. Listen, the only way you can go through someone is by being intimate with them. I don't mean in a sexual way. I mean like this through Jesus means there's Jesus and I literally have to become one with him to go through something. It's like I have to go through the waterfall. How do you do that? I have to go through the waters. I literally have to just throw myself into the waters and completely be, be enveloped by them. Paul says, I can only... Have abundant life through the strength that Jesus has to be intimate with him and go through him. Asaph, uh, until I entered into the sanctuary, the safe haven, until I entered into his presence and experienced in him and learned from him and heard from him, I was a brute beast. The primary takeaway in our study this fall is this. If you don't intentionally take time to draw near to Jesus and know him, you won't have the abundant life. I don't have the abundant life, Steve. Then know him. Know him. Spend time with him. Like it's a super simple. All My whole message this morning is basically saying this. The abundant life equals being with Jesus. Apart from being with Jesus intentionally as your greatest pursuit, there's no abundant life. You're going to look and sound and act just like Asaph. If someone in your life starts throwing a pity party about everything going on in their life, you can look at them and say, can we go to Jesus together? Because you really need some of Jesus right now. It's like that Snickers commercial. Here, have a Snickers, right? That's really what it is. Have a little bit of Jesus. Have a lot of Jesus. Dive into his safe haven. Spend time with him. Enjoy him. Release the scowling face of Jesus because when you get into his presence, he gets excited. The scripture says, You've made my heart beat faster, my sister, my bride. You listen. 
You've made my heart beat faster, my sister, my bride. You've made my heart beat faster with one single glance of your eyes. God speaking that to his children in Song of Songs, the the beloved speaking to the lover. When you just look in my direction, my heart beats faster, the lover says. God, the beloved, God says, as you look at me, my heart beats faster. Is that scowling, Jesus? I'm in terrible sin. Yeah, but when you look to him, he knows there's hope. When you look at him, he knows there's a chance. Have you ever been talking to somebody? Say, just look at me. Just look at me. Just look at me, Deborah. Just look at me. And when Deborah looks at me, I know there's a chance for breakthrough. That's what the Father says. Have a snickers in my spirit. Right? Look at me. Know me. Reread John 17, 3, fresh and anew this morning. Jesus says in red letters again, This is eternal life. This is abundant life. This is the new life. That they know you, the only true God and Jesus from whom you have sent. Or Jesus whom you have sent. What does that mean exactly, Steve? It's real simple. Eternal life, abundant life, new life, real life in Christ. Well, it all happens through knowing God intimately every day. This this verse has nothing to do about your salvation. Accept it as a launching pad in the fullness of relationship of knowing him every day. How do I do this, Steve? I want you to buy the devotional book out there. I mean, I'm not trying to, like, sell you books this morning. I don't get any money from it. Vince doesn't get any money from it. I want you to buy the book. Why? If you struggle spending time with Jesus, if you struggle on how to make it practical, just buy the book. Because it's the most practical expression of being with Jesus I've ever experienced in my life. Be still before him like you were this morning and be still and just focus on him. And then read small set of scripture right here. Then meditate and look at it for a little bit. Pray about it. And then focus on Jesus again as your source of abundant life. And then walk out of that time in the abundant life, knowing I've met with God, I know him, therefore I'm living the abundant life. So come hell or high water or man like sitting by the beach, I'm content because I know him. This is what we are about. You want the abundant life? Then know him. And in coming to him, no, he's super excited about it. And he literally, his heart skips a beat. I don't understand that. How can a God who knows me, have you ever said, oh my gosh, you don't know who I really am. But he does, and his heart skips a beat when you come into his presence. That's a pretty big deal. That means there's something lovable about you. It means he thinks you're awesome. And we're going to be awakened to Jesus, awakened to his presence, so we can say, like Paul Man, I can do all things in life because I'm content and satisfied in the abundant life of Jesus. I'm not held hiding in the rain in the storm of life. No, I'm free to fly and to soar with Jesus, even in the midst of suffering and persecution and difficulty.
it is the greatest miracle, one of the greatest, the greatest miracle, I would say, of our Christian walk. Let's pray. Father, we love you this morning. We thank you for your presence. I thank you, Jesus, that you are literally for us. That God, even as we talk this morning, I believe there's a level of excitement and anticipation this morning. In you, because you recognize as your people begin to really dive into the spiritual truth of knowing you, that it literally changes everything. Father, this is not a message about go have a quiet time. This is a message about knowing the living, breathing, active God who, with excitement, draws us into his presence. And speaks life and brings an inner contentment through our knowledge of God and an everlasting relationship. Holy Spirit, lead us and guide us this morning, we pray. Amen.